Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Today I'm talking to Dr. Bart Lardner, a professor from the University of Saskatchewan, about managing perennials for long-term grazing success. Um, Bart, would you mind sharing a bit of your background and how you started working with perennials to begin with? Yeah, no problem at all. And thank you very much for the invitation to participate in this podcast for sure. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in BC and we farmed up in northern BC in the Peace River country and there we had beef cattle and, and pastures, and that really struck my interest. And so uh, moving out of that and, and, and migrating out here to University of Saskatchewan in the mid 80s, uh, I, I went obviously and did my academic uh, following and career. But you know, after I finished my, my undergrad degree, I started into grad studies. And so that really was where I, I understood and and realized the importance of, of forages, the importance of perennial forages that we're gonna speak about here today uh, and how that forages really are the backbone of the, of the Western Canadian cow-calf and, and beef industry. And so, uh, you know, it, it really is a, a blend in that what's in front of that grazing beef cow is going to provide her the necessary nutrients on a daily basis. And so we need to pay attention to the different plant types and perennial types that are in our pastures. Right. Um, so usually when we're talking about perennial pastures, um, there are some standard plants and varieties that we might use like Siberian alfalfa or Timothy or orchard grass. Um, but can you talk a little bit about what people should consider when they're planning a perennial mix and what sort of plants they should be thinking about including? Yeah, no, that, that's a standard, uh, excellent question for sure is that when producers are, are thinking about looking at what perennial mix should I put in at, you know, on my field or in my operation, I think first of all, you need to look at what species are adapted to your ecoregion. And so don't go and, and, and you know, select different varieties that may not be adapted and may not persist wherever you farm or you ranch. And so look at what, what uh, is available. Are they adapted to where I live? If it's Northern Alberta, if it's Southern Alberta, if it's, if it's Eastern Saskatchewan, uh, you know, do your homework, talk to the ag reps, talk to the, you know, uh, forage associations and look at, okay, what is the, the, the options that are out there? Secondly, look at the smorgasbord of, of forage varieties that are out there. There is many, many options. And other than the basic smooth grown grass or crested wheat grass that we hear about so much, there's some really good legume varieties that are out there, some good, productive grass species. The other thing I'll tell producers is to think about what mixture is going to work for me. And I always strongly suggest that legumes should be part of that conversation. And somewhere in there, you probably need, uh, you know, to have that legume, that nitrogen fixing plant in that mixture, take advantage of that. Uh, secondly, don't get too carried away. We see some of these blends and varieties and mixtures that the, the seed companies are offering are multi or many. And so when we start to see five, six, seven uh, species in a mixture, I always ask, okay, what's the maturity curve? What's the growth curve? 
on each of those species? And secondly, will they be around after year two or year three? And, and thirdly, what's it cost me on a per pound basis right, to have that species in my mixture? And so you're basically uh, looking at some, some species that may not be adapted, that may not be around long-term, which is what you want. That's one of your objectives. And so maybe they don't fit well in my mixture. And so I always say, you know what, when we get to three uh, species in a mixture, maybe four, you were probably maxing out. And so I'm going to try and manage those different varieties in my mixture because I realize they're going to mature at different times throughout the growing season. And so I need to move my operations, either put my cattle out there or maybe harvest for hay. And so, you know, we get these six and seven we're probably going a little bit overboard. So I'm looking at maybe a mixture with three or four uh, species. They're gonna complement my objectives of having that perennial uh, and then and getting it established out there. The other thing I wanna mention is um, when you're looking at establishing a perennial, it's a long-term goal, okay? And you wanna see that around for, for five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years, who knows? So do your homework right, get your field prep right, Right. Uh, so I, I remember three things, firm, fine <clears throat> and moist is, is how that seed bed should be. And it's so important to see soil to seed contact that half inch to three quarter inch depth. And so realize we're planting a perennial forage here. We're not planting a cereal. And so we need to, to pay attention to that shallow uh, uh, seeding depth. So this might be a bit of a strange question while we're talking about plant selection, um, but it's something I've been wondering about. Because uh, in native pastures, we often see a lot of forbs, like sagebrush and that sort of stuff. Um, and in bush and forest grazing, that makes up a, a significant portion of the forage is those, those forbs and leafy plants. Um, can you talk a little bit about forbs and why we don't usually see them in tame pasture mixes? Well, I guess, I guess we need to go back and understand what is a forb. Uh, first of all, I, I realize that, you know, there's, a, there's really a lot of uh, producers have access to bush pasture, or maybe they're they're farming on the the edge of the boreal forest, and so they they deal with a lot of, of of bush pastures or pastures that have tree species. And so we need to understand that it's, it's the understory uh, plant variety that that's available for grazing, and, and a lot of these are native uh, you know species that are out there, the grass or forb species. And so forbs are a good thing, and and uh, you know you know I mean you, you think about it. Uh, legumes are forbs, and so uh, dicotyledonous plants are forbs. But uh, you know, I, th I think we need to think that you know sometimes uh, the understory is 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 going to provide a lot of good things uh, to 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 the potential pasture mixture. And uh, you know, why are they not? Why are some of these atypical forbs not included? Well, maybe because they're probably hard to establish. But we're mm -hmm. seeing we're seeing some some alternate type forbs that are coming at us and that's where we get into our cover crops and our poly crops uh, but again i would caution um, you know look at them are they going to adapt are they going to germinate are they going to produce the expected yield i want uh, if i'm going to put them in there and so how long are they going to be in there so um, I, I really i really feel that you know a lot of native pastures are extremely diverse Okay, you'll see many different plant varieties in native, in native pastures or bush pastures or whatever. Um, I think they call them uh, bluegrass pastures in some parts of Manitoba. But there's some really good available forage there for your, for your beef cow herd. And so uh, those 
Forbes are, are actually uh, providing a lot of good quality grazing. The other thing I'll mention too, is that we sometimes pick on weeds and, and point the finger and say, these are nasty things. I don't want to see them, but realize, you know what? Dandelions, dandelions uh, do provide some, some quality grazing. Uh, they just don't desiccate, they don't dry down. And so some of these weedy dominant forbs that we see in our pastures that might come in and creep in and take over time and increase in, in composition may not be so bad. Uh, it's just some of those really aggressive ones we want to control. That makes sense. And I guess adjacent to that, um, I know root diversity can be really helpful in stabilizing soils and making pastures more drought and flood resistant to have uh, you know, creeping root systems as well as sort of tap roots and that sort of thing. How can producers encourage that diversity and maintain it in their pastures while still getting the productivity they need? Are there ways to do that or um, any tips you have? Yeah, no, that's a great question as well. And so, you know, obviously looking at the, the varieties I have in my mixture that I'm going to establish that knock on wood, they're going to be there for six, seven, eight years, uh, or maybe in a short rotation forage legume type type uh, uh, system as well. But yeah, the, you just mentioned it's a diverse variety of, of rooting types. And so obviously the tap rooted types will mine the soil, will aerate the soil, allow water infiltration and percolation to open up, right? Some of those air, air, air spaces and to allow that. Uh, you know, uh, improve the ability of, of, of the uh, pasture to capture those light rainfalls. And so you look at the different varieties, you know, have a blend of maybe, like you just mentioned, maybe fibrous rooting uh, species compared to tap rooting species. Uh, you know, I think that's where some of these uh, brassicas come in too. We're talking about annual pasture here now, but, but you know, there are some really good tap rooting varieties of legumes that are out there the sandfoins, the sicers, the, the different uh, alfalfas you just mentioned, the hardy alfalfas, you mentioned the Siberian. Uh, obviously, yellowhead is one of those, uh, uh, Medicago falcata. And so, you know, these are, these are important species to have in your pasture. The other thing too is maybe look at what is your rotation management of, of your pasture. And so do I put it down to a perennial? Uh, we did some work looking at comparing alfalfa to red clover in terms of a short rotation forage legume study and found that in some soil zones, actually red clover uh, put down more nitrogen per acre compared to alfalfa. And so just another option, uh, you know, maybe in a, in a, maybe a five-year program or something like that. Right. Uh, for those uh, rotations and stuff, do you want to talk a little bit about planning your, your rotation length and that sort of thing and uh, the different things you can accomplish with different rotation lengths for perennials? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, obviously when you look at your perennial stand, uh, you do, you've done all your homework, you've got it established, you've got a good establishment and, and hopefully you're going to manage it for, for a good balance of legume and grass species going forward for four, five, six years. Generally, after about five years, we see perennial stands start to decline and yield. Uh, and it might be because we're, we're guilty of not looking at fertility management. Not to say that we need to, you know, to, to do an aggressive fertilization approach, but certainly if you've got animals out there, there's def 
you know, uh, deposition of a new nutrient, so that's helping that whole nutrient cycling. But after about five, four, five, six years, we see yields start to decline. Yes, uh, you know, maybe you've got an aggressive uh, grazing rotation program and you won't see that. Maybe it's going to be out there eight, nine years. But so after that time where you feel that, you know, maybe it's time to, to come back to an annual cropping system because, you know, even some of the perennial weeds will start to persist. And so one way to control those, go back to an annual cropping system. And we've always maybe tore up small areas, don't have to go big. I just talked to a, to a rancher here. Uh, just west of Saskatoon last week about, you know, trying to improve his soil, improve soil health, look at different varieties that are out there. And, you know, maybe don't, don't tear up that whole quarter section. Maybe only take a quarter of it or 20 acres and then come back to an annual program for maybe one, two, three years growing a green feed, right? You're, you're, you know, or maybe some of these cover crops if you want to have cattle out there grazing on that acre of land. And then come back to your perennial because then you've controlled your perennial weeds and you, you know, at that point you might start to be challenged with annual weed problems. Come back to your perennial. The whole objective of getting that perennial mix established is to have those productive species competitive so we don't see, in, you know, those, those invaders creeping in or those increaser species. And so, but it'll, 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 it'll differ. Why? Because you know what, we're all dependent on rainfall. And so, you know, you might, you're always, you're always going to have drought, drought just around the corner. You have two really dry years. You know, it's not the fault of the, of the mix that it didn't get up and going well. It's, it's lack of rainfall. And so you might have to adjust this for sure. And you might take it out sooner than you planned on. But, but I always say, bring that, you know, bring that uh, cropping rotation in with the objective in mind to have that legume in that stand when we do plow it under, or we do come back to an annual crop, that end is there. You fixed all that nitrogen. So that makes sense. Um, we've talked a little bit about legumes, and uh, I know legumes are kind of are quite often what starts to uh, die out first in your perennial pastures. So there's a difference between grazing those uh, grass-dominated pastures and pastures where you have a lot of legumes. So can you talk a little bit about the difference in that management? Yeah, yeah, I guess, you know, I think I, I mentioned, uh, well, obviously, you can tell I'm, I'm a great fan of having the legume in that mix. But, but too much, you have, you have to really manage and manage closely. If you have too much alfalfa in span, say, you know, greater than 40%, you're going to have some issues with regrowth, you're going to have some issues with bud development. And the cattle are quite selective, and they may select more of that alfalfa than you care to, and you get into these bloating problems. And so, if we want to see a balance of maybe 20, 30% of stand of the legume, the other 70% is a grass, just to reduce the incidence of bloat. Um, you know, as you mentioned, <clears throat> what are the other varieties I have in there? We have some, some aggressive grazing tolerant grass species that might choke out my legume, uh, you know, and so all of a sudden then we're, we're going to see less of our, our legume component we might have some short-lived legumes if we're having some challenges right now with sandfine. And so, uh, you know, but some of the newer varieties that are being released, they're, they're pretty good. We're seeing uh, them persisting and stand longer. Uh, obviously, sites for milk batches are really long-lived, hard to establish, but long-lived. And so the other question is, I've got, I've lost the legume in my pasture. 
how do I introduce, you know, some more, we talked about sod seeding. And so one way of looking at that grass dominated pasture and trying to increase legume is, is to maybe look at a sod seeding program. And so I also mentioned that, you know, one way to, to set it up for a good sod seeding success story is maybe graze that pasture hard in the fall and then come in <clears throat> in that June time period, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, suppress your existing species, maybe with a, a, a low level of, of, of uh, glyphosate or something just prior to your sod seeding practice. But your objective is to not kill those existing species, but just have your, your introduced sod seed species germinate. And by the fall, you'll see a pretty good stand. And so, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, the ability of, of grazing a good blend of alfalfa to grass. Um, I also mentioned that, uh, you know, alfalfa is not a bad thing. And I think a lot of producers shy away from it because of the bloating issue, uh, but they're losing the aspect of nitrogen fixation. But certainly, uh, you know, I think I, I've seen quite a few producers that actually graze 80% legume pastures and they do it quite successfully because they graze it based on fiber content. And so over time, over time, their animals are adapted to that high level of legume in that stand, but it really is a manage and monitor situation. For sure. Um, I think on that note, uh, what are the biggest points to consider when you are managing perennial pastures? Uh, I think the biggest point is, is uh, don't turn them out too soon. Uh, you know, I mean, we've, we've, whatever we've winter grazed them, or maybe we've confined, uh, you know, fed them over the winter and we're just getting tired of that <laughs> and things start to green up, you know, in that April, May time period, depending on where you live. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, enticing to maybe put your cattle out, turn them out to pasture too soon. So we need to, to look at a, you know, four to five leaf stage before we go out there with our critters. And, you know, that just allows those, those plants to, to respond to that grazing disturbance and allow us to, to, to set up some type of a rotation. So don't put them out too soon. Uh, pay attention to available forbs that might be out there. Um, you know, and the other thing too is, is rest. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this much in, in our webinar, but, but rest is probably the easiest thing for us to plan for. Yes, we have to keep the animals off of there uh, for probably an entire grazing season on one of our pasture areas, or maybe a certain time of the growing season uh, to allow those plants to recover and become robust and to build up their energy reserves and you know, to allow them to respond positively to that, to that grazing disturbance. And so rest is important. Think about a rotation system so that we don't get into the situation of having our perennials uh, you know, in, in, a, in a poor <clears throat> or maybe a fair uh, condition where we want them in, to be in a good condition uh, you know, year after year. So it's, don't turn them out too soon. Maybe I think about resting them uh, and, then, and then plan, you know, I mean, the best time to plan for your grazing season is, is probably right now when you've got 2020 fresh in your memory and you've seen, you know, which ones that I go to first for spring grazing, which ones were good midsummer uh, pastures and which ones were good fall pastures. So I can plan for 2021 and then I'm ready, ready to go 
uh, and but be be ready because guess what? It may not rain in June, and so uh, the ability to be flexible is is important as well. Definitely. Um, and we've we've talked a little bit about rejuvenation um, here already, just with the sod seeding and the rest and that sort of thing. Um, but do you have any? Just two or three other key points for anybody looking to rejuvenate a pasture. Yeah, I think that the major objective and key point I would stress is look at that pasture, look at what's growing out there. What species are there? Uh, do we have less than 30% productive species? We've got a lot of invasive, invasive, you know, weedy species, toxic plants that could be the encroachment of you know, snowberry or, or, or wolf willow or something like that. And so um, if we have maybe, you know, just less than that 30%, maybe we need to think about an aggressive approach compared to just maybe a sod seed or maybe a fertility <clears throat> or, or a burn or something like that. And so look at where you're at because sometimes you're probably going to waste your money trying to do that sod seed practice or that fertility practice. And so or is this more of an aggressive approach? Uh, because I want to control those, those, you know, those aspen encroachment or the encroachment of the wolf willow or the or the or the uh, snowberry. And so, does that mean I got to go to a to a herbicide approach? And so one one time only, and then come back with a with a solid grazing program to to control the encroachment of those woody species. So, you know, maybe you've gone too far. And maybe you have to take an aggressive rejuvenation technique. If you're if you're in that area where you're probably seeing 50% of, of productive species, the species that I seeded eight years ago still there, but you know I'm I'm kind of losing the game. Maybe it is a rest and recover. Maybe it is, you know, uh, some of these other options that are out there, mechanical or a sod seed. And so um, you know, and 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 if you're going to rejuvenate, maybe just just try a smaller portion to see this, whether you're successful or not, and then not go out there and try and rejuvenate a half section pasture. Maybe just go out and try 40 acres and see, okay, did that come back? And I guess on, on the note of those, those invaders and those woody species and really aggressive weeds and stuff that uh, don't have that palatability or that um, nutritional value that maybe a dandelion or something would, um, do you have any, uh, specific recommendations for for managing those sorts of invaders yeah that that's another really good question and over the years i've been convinced that small ruminants are the answer to a lot of our problems uh, so don't rule out you know getting your hands on a flock of sheep or maybe a herd of goats if you have a neighbor who so who so raises those uh, have a have a conversation set up a contract we do that out here in saskatchewan and, and we've done some work actually uh, with boat grazing, and they're tremendous for controlling, you know, um, the the brush, the the brush encroachment. Uh, if we if we manage them and, and ask them to just graze that, they will. Um, if you don't have that option, then you might have to look to a more aggressive herbicide option. Uh, there could be a mechanical option too. We talked about bark scraping with the aspen encroachment problem. And I know that's a problem up there where you are. Um, you know, we see uh, over time a lot of our our bush pastures. We lose the 
the stocking rate because of aspen encroachment and those suckers are just keep moving out year after year and so a mechanical bark scrape or something like that um but then again there's the herbicide options are not cheap but sometimes that's kind of our last resort and so we have to talk to that chemical company and choose the right one choose the one that's going to kill the roots Right, so we have to have a high enough application rate to, to control not just above ground biomass, but below ground biomass on those on those woody species. And so come in, yes, it's gonna cost me, but then back it up with a sound grazing program going forward. So, you know, and sometimes maybe just adjusting your stocking rate as well might help. Right. I guess we have talked a bit about stocking rate. Do you wanna expand just on how stocking rate works and, and what to maybe look for when you're planning to stock a pasture? Yeah, I think, again, uh, I, I encourage producers to go out and, and look for those published reference materials. They're in all of our, our grazing associations, our provincial ag offices. They're online. And look at where you live. Look at your pasture type. It might be native. It might be tame seeded. We have those <clears throat> those stocking rate tables out there. Um, and so that's certainly just a guideline. And, and uh, you know, but do your homework. I would suggest maybe doing that compared to looking at what your neighbor does down the road. Maybe he's doing it wrong. Maybe they've, they're putting out those 25 pair on that quarter section year after year and wondering why they have nothing but, but wolf willow and, 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 and snowberry. Just saying. Uh, but... Uh, that's a guideline and 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 you know you come up with your so stocking rate basically is is uh, the number of animal units over a specific period of time so it's stocking rate per acre usually and it's just a guideline to to allow us to provide available forage per animal unit uh you know over a one month period say for example but if as i say if we don't get those timely spring rains those late summer rains, we'll have to, to start adjusting. And so it's, it's a starting point. You know, you might be sitting at one AUM per acre or something like that, maybe 0.2 on your native range and be ready to adjust. And so uh, realize that, that you're trying to provide forages, which is your forage demand from all your cattle and your herd, your mature cows, your calves, your breeding bulls, your grass or cattle, that's your forage demand. Forage supply is all of your grazing resources, all the forages at your disposal, whether it's land you own or community pasture or the neighbor's pasture, that's your forage supply. And your objective is to balance the two, right? Forage demand with forage supply. And, and we, we all, you know, and I can't stress enough, be prepared to be flexible because we have no idea what the grazing season for 2021 is gonna look like, but we know we've just come through I know 2020, and uh, in some some areas we've had adequate rainfall. Our pastures never look better. In other areas, we've dealt with drought. So, awesome. Before we sign off, um, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, are there any resources uh, or websites or any of that sort of stuff you'd like to mention? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not that hard to find. Just Google me. I'm not uh, joking. They say. But no, uh, my email is bart.lardner at usas.ca here at the University of, of, of Saskatchewan in the Department of Animal and Poultry Science. But we also have a really good website, westernbeef.org. 
that's westernbeef.org. Uh, we're just moving a lot of those fact sheets and reports and videos over to our, our lfce.usask website as well. So, but start off with westernbeef.org. We've been producing videos now for, for over 15 years, just trying to take a snapshot of a study we did so a, you know, a stakeholder can, can load it up and, and listen to us you know, talk about the highlights of our research program. Um, we are, I also recommend uh, you know, BCRC website, Beef Cattle Research Council website. I know that uh, we had foragebeef.com or foragebeef.ca, sorry, was a, was a website in Alberta that, uh, you know, Dwayne McCartney did a lot of work getting that up and going, great material there. I see now that that information is coming over to the BCRC website. So those are the two that I mentioned. Uh, Beef Cattle Research Council has done a really good job and continue to uh, provide those technical materials for, for producers, as well as your website. And, and so, you know, websites, they're, they're only as good as the day we put the information up and then they become outdated the next day. So we need to continue to improve and upload all these materials. And we're trying to do that. So, but yeah, there's certainly I steer a lot of producers to our website, westernbeef.org and BCRC and other websites as well. So forage associations like yourself are, are fantastic contacts as well. So, yeah. So for anybody who's interested in checking out any of those uh, resources Mark's mentioned so far, I will put those in the description below. So you can just click the link and head over to the websites, give them a Google, check out the resources. There's lots of great information on those websites. Beyond that, thank you very much for coming on, Bart. Okay. Well, thank you very much again for the invitation and absolutely feel free to contact us and you have a good day. Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening! Thank you.